Hey, Star Wars fans and Rule of the Galaxy fans. If you're around for episode 218, which is this episode, thanks. Because it's hard to believe we made it to 218 episodes. Especially when Alfie always says, I thought we were going to do this once and be done with it. So um, it's Joe in the pilot seat of the Rule of the Galaxy podcast. We have some of our regular crew with us tonight. And... If you're watching live on YouTube or Twitter right now, you'll see we have a special guest as well who has been on in, in the past. And we, we uh, meant to have him on before now again. But you know what? Sometimes time just gets in the way and you can't always make that happen. But it's going to be a great show. Again, we're live on Twitter and on YouTube right now. You know where to check us out. Rule of the Galaxy. Usually Rule of the Galaxy SW somewhere on all social medias. Email us at rulegalaxysw at gmail.com. Again, it is episode 218, and I'm going to go around the room and do some quick intros. Uh, Mr. Brent Dykeman, who's just listed as Dykeman on the show, which I like. Brent, how are you, brother? Yo, 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 what up? Are things going? Uh, again, my, my I've, I think I've established that my, my speakers are terrible, and so all the people, I apologize for the audio that crackles. Um, <laughs> That that is me and my uh, my low budget <laughs> version of running things. I'm not uh, I'm not full on with the microphones yet. So, other That's than okay. that, I'm doing good. Brent, doing you good. bring you bring so much goodness to the show that we can handle the low budget part of of you. I mean, if you want to go low budget, that's fine because you bring high quality content to the show. Sure. <laughs> Plus. When your face is really red from being in the sun and your white beard's going on, you look like Santa I mean, Claus I look like Santa Claus a couple times ago. There yeah. was no doubt about it. I was bright yeah. red. I'm not quite Santa Clausy right now, but that's right. But you're yeah, in the middle no. of you're in the middle of summer school. Is that right? Are you doing summer no, I mean, school? I'm doing nothing, dude. Um, I'm living the teacher life right now. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't even know what day it is because my life is run by calendars for. Nine months out of the year, 10 months okay. out of the year. Well, great, great. Do you sit back and relax? We'll just, we're just getting fun tonight. We'll hit on a ton of topics, and I'm sure with your relaxed summertime sure. vibe, it'll be great. Um, I'm going to switch it over to D Doc, the man with the plan, the guy who keeps this whole thing together with all of his media savvy, you know, stuff that he does. D Doc, how are you, brother? I'm doing good. Uh, <clears throat> just had a nice little trip to uh, Williamsburg, uh, Virginia, little Bush Gardens action, rode a bunch of roller coasters there. Me and my wife just sit there and she'll take the kids to the teacups while I go on a roller coaster and then I'll do the same thing. She'll go on the same one I just went on and we just go around and yeah, my son went on the Loch Ness Monster and then didn't want to go on any other roller coasters the rest of the time there. So, so what's the Loch Ness Monster? 
it is a historic roller coaster, Brent. It's only like protected by the historical roller coaster society. It has two loops that go within each other, man. Come okay, on. So, so here's opened the up deal, in like dude, 1975 I... or something like that. Sounds great, but in the group chat, you know that this body was not made for amusement parks. (laughs) I the number of rides that I've been told to get off because you're too fat is too many. You're not, but you're just a big guy. Like I saw someone to get off a ride uh, recently where they were just big. Like it's not like they were like overweight or anything. They were just too big for it. I was like, that's crazy. Like you know yeah that sucks if you're like if you're like six foot six six foot five you just can't ride certain rides have i told you my superman at six flags magic mountain story i don't Mm -mm. know if you've heard it so i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot it sorry to take your time in your intro so the six flags magic mountain me and a friend of mine who were both big guys sit down in the same row i was on one side of the row he was on the other there was like four seats in between because we were with like a school group this was in like i don't know probably 2000 and probably oh my god almost 20 years ago now anyways so six flags magic mountain superman goes straight up in the air and comes straight back down um and it's on like a magnetic rails and it shoots about 60 miles up and you're on the top of the mountain so you're like 200 feet 300 feet up in the air when you're up at the top we sit down the lap bar doesn't close so I look around, we look at each other because the two big guys are like, obviously, I stand up, the lap bar closes. Okay. <laughs> so they fire the ride out. They had me go sit and wait. So they bring me out. They're like, all right, we'll get you on the next one. They get me out. They bring it down. The cart was empty. They brought me out. I sat down in the same spot as my buddy where he was at, where it locked. Well, I sit down, the lap bar closes. They, I was like, okay, cool. They're going to open it up and they're going to, they're going to let other people onto the ride. No, they shut all of the other lap bars and fired it off with me by myself oh. <laughs> because I was so fat. It was, but you got a private ride, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who can yeah. say that? Who can say that? Only you. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I was the only one on the Six Flags Superman at Magic Mountain. Well, now, now that we've jumped into Rule the Theme Park podcast we're going to jump over to our special guest we know him as boba fett from new hope special edition but looking at his imdb like we have in the past this guy has been a part of a little bit of everything over the past 30 years in hollywood so we are going to welcome back mr mark anthony austin how are you sir i'm good i'm good i'm glad to be back glad to be back we're glad to have you here and i tell you what um Alfie said it today. He's the one on Twitter who who hit you up and was like, I just follow your feed because it's just a great feed on Twitter. I, I'm going to start off the show by concurring with Alfie. Some of the best behind-the-scenes stuff, some of the best just artwork, everything. You post a little bit of everything on there. Is that something you just keep in your own private file? Do you have this stuff that you're <laughs> pulling randomly from everywhere? Because if you're not following mark on on twitter you should because he always is putting great content on there so i'll let you fire off what what is it there where do you get all this great stuff it's like you're you're sharing my my browsing through the uh, internet basically okay i'm sharing it with you the stuff that i'm finding i'm sharing with you so everything i find i find that day and so um uh, it's kind of like i i consider myself uh an image bounty hunter (laughs) 
So I that's like what it. I do. I hunt down uh, behind the scenes pictures. Uh, you know, my, my you know after a while your threads learn you know what you are interested in. So every day it's on the right course. It's just exploring images that I maybe haven't seen. A lot of the stuff I've seen, I've seen, seen, seen. I try and post something that even if I've seen it, I might have posted it so long ago that if I kind of was, oh, this one, then I'm sharing that with everyone else. But uh, you get to the point where I'm just searching for new images. And again, it's, get, it's harder every, every day, obviously. Uh, and it's been a lot of days I've posted. So it's, it's a search. I do consider it a okay. bounty hunting. Well, it, it is entertaining. And the other part that I find entertaining is seeing you going to the conventions and the the gatherings that you go to. What are some of the things you've gone to recently? Some of the people you've met? I've seen you trading some sign things with people and all yeah. that kind of stuff. What's what's okay. been some of your great adventures recently okay. on that? I'll share my I'll share my findings. So normally I, I don't I'm normally I go to these things, I'm so busy. I get to the end of the day and it's exhausting being, I want to be 10 for everyone. You know, <laughs> everyone that comes to my table, I want to give them what Jeremy gave them. You've got to give them a 10, not nine, not I'm, I'm tired. Got to give them 10. And after a day, it physically draining. So um, I never really went around and bothered the other guests. We chat in our breaks, but <laughs> I was very much like Dickie Beer. We, we very much, we do our hours, you know. We, we get there on time. Mm -hmm. We leave on time. We do our hours, you know. Um, so I, I, it's only recently that I've uh, been like, oh, I should really get his, you know, her signature. So recent ones, let's go to the recent ones. Recent ones, this is a good one to start with. This one. Uh, Alexis Ree, the geisha, it, who for me is like a brain tattoo. Okay. Um, she, uh, <clears throat> I bumped into her and uh, we became friends. She was interested in the convention side. So she said, could I kind of talk her through it? So I got in touch with somebody and the end up, she said, if you, if you uh, drive, I'll pay for the gas. So I'll <laughs> So we drive up to uh, Lompoc, which is like three and a half hours driving north from Los Angeles. So uh, it was great. It was like we chatted away and became like the, the best of friends. So uh, this is from the Mandalorian. This is a, a, a very slender guy. I, I tried putting that <laughs> help, the head on and I couldn't fit. Not like his head, and actually just stand us next to each other. It's like no, 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 it's gonna work. Book of Boba Fett. Uh, this was my, uh, this is my uh, roommate because we got um, an Airbnb. Oh, okay. Because the hotel sold out, and so she became my one of my roommates at the Airbnb. Crazy lady, crazy lady. I love her. <laughs> right, it's, uh, let's get to I, I can only oh, imagine. This one is a good one. This yeah, I can only fun. imagine what it's like with a bunch of people who are doing these, joining in and being in an Airbnb. That's got to oh, be wow. fun. So, Dennis Lawson, uh, 
it was just only a few weeks ago that I was doing a convention with uh, David, uh, the voice of which, sorry, David Ankrum. Ankrum. Um, he, did, I always thought that was Wedge saying, look at the size of that thing. Mm -hmm. I just assumed, okay, this is Ewan McGregor's uncle, but he's doing a really good American accent because he fools me. It looked perfect. Look at the size of that thing, you know. And then I went to a, a convention in Rochester, and I was with David Ankrum, and he was my neighbor. And I was like, he said, the voice of Wedge. I said, well, I can't understand it because I'm the guy that said, look at the size of all those lines. And he just <laughs> said, like, it was like a recording came out of his mouth. It was like, oh, my God, you know, just, it just took you back. Yeah, to you're, you're immediately. You're dropping knowledge on me right here. I had yeah. no idea. Did you guys have? No, right? So no. then, well, the odds. Then I bump into Dennis Lawson. So I'm messing around with Dennis Lawson and say, okay, what are you doing, Dennis? You're causing trouble. He's like, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, uh, I always thought that that was your voice. And then I met David Anker. He goes, yeah, yeah, he goes. And I could hear the Scottish, you know. So it was funny. It was funny. I bumped into those two people recently. Uh, there's a few others. I bumped into uh, one of the Boba Fett's. I'll show you. There's a few others. This is the last one I'll show you. I've always been here all night looking at these things. Yeah. He had. He was the uh, stuntman that was, you know, doing all the hard work. Really? Okay. Helmets on. <laughs> it's not ten. <laughs> So, that's awesome I, yeah i mean so I, I don't usually do that many conventions i limit myself to one a month only because it usually requires you take off a friday and a monday and if i did that every week for netflix if i was netflix i would fire my behind <laughs> right so i limit myself normally to uh, uh, one a month but um i'm taking advantage of a hiatus between projects so I have time to do them. So I crammed, I think, five into the uh, May, June. So I had one weekend off in, and like, I think, five consecutive weekends driving up or going to uh, fly to the East Coast. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Well, I'm I'm gonna uh, um, see D Doc or Brent. Do you have a question or anything you want to ask Mark? Because I I've got three or four questions from Alfie, who is by far the biggest Boba Fett fan that I know. And he actually sent me a text today and said, "All oh, them fighting words." They are. <laughs> he was like, like helmet, how, on, "Helmet on." He was like, "How do I?" He's like, "How do I? How do we get to meet this guy face to face?" He goes, "I just want to sit and talk to him all day about not only the." Uh, new edition, but new edition. No, we're not talking about old bands from the nineties. Special 90s. edition, uh, special edition, or or uh, Casper. You know, he was all enthralled with that. So, um, and I said, well, we'll we'll meet him someday. We'll figure out a way to get to get together with him. But <laughs> if you guys have a question, I'll start with Alfie's first question. You guys, you guys have anything ready to roll? Go, Brent. I mean, I'm just curious. You talked about a hiatus between projects, so now yeah. I'm going to be nosy. Yeah. What are the projects? <laughs> I don't know what the next one is. That's why oh, okay. I had someone okay. hiatus. Gotcha. Uh, so what did you just here. finish up? Uh, I, the big project I finished up, which I spent a year and a half on, was uh, an animated feature-length uh, Ultraman. And it's a bit stylized, a bit Spider-Verse stylized, a bit, but really uh, 
just you could pause that movie anywhere and it'd be like oh my god you, you don't know where to look you know you don't know what pulls your eye more the background or the foreground it's i don't know it's i always get what's your what's the movie you, that was the best or you one you're most proud of and this one is the one really this one is definitely the one well you know this what? was my beatles there's only one beatles and everything just came together the the team was like a it was like a living organism almost. It was like we perfect communication. Um, so everyone just lifted everyone, and we got this momentum. And yeah, this is this is the one. And so when, it comes out spring uh, of next year. Okay, that was my question. Spring of next year. And what is it coming out on? Is it going to be a full length it's at the theaters? So oh, Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Okay. They're hoping for a theatrical release of like I wish I could get two weeks. Uh, I know they're trying to push for a, a small theatrical release, and I recommend if you can to see it there. You know, but um, yeah, it's it, that, that's that's spent a year and a half working on that, and then when I finished on that, uh, I helped out on uh, Adam Sandler movie. Mm. Um, it's uh, I can't say much about it because you know. Uh, but it's a departure. It's an animated movie. Okay. okay. An animated feature, uh, and it's like a you know he usually does the Hotel Transylvania, and this is like mm -hmm. another different character that he voices. Very funny. I got to work on the uh, without giving anything away the sequence of the uh, the, the school fair. You know. Okay. Um, so that was really cool because it, it just involves so many characters. It's 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 a school fair. You know. So there are so many characters to orchestrate for every shot, you know, in, in depth. So you're looking at it as a cone from the camera. So that's how many people you have to animate. And so, oh. So oh. real quick on that, and I don't, I'm not trying to dive into it, but you said you worked on basically one sequence, right? Like yeah, essentially, one sequence. how long were you working <laughs> on that one sequence? A month. Okay. Yeah. A whole second. You've got to work fast. And that's in that month, it's three plus iterations, rounds of notes. So they get three uh, chances to kind of hone it. Mm -hmm. And every time I present it, I present the whole edit, you know, to, to, with the soundtrack, play it. So, um, and, and they watch it all the way through, and then we watch it through, and they tell me what they want to change or not. You know? I, I thought for sure you were going to say it was Eight Crazy Nights Part Two. That's where I thought you were going. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I loved Eight Crazy Nights. <laughs> Some of the Nights. people that worked on Eight Crazy Nights also worked on this movie, actually. Okay. Yeah. My son, John my son and daughter, love that movie. Yeah. Uh, well, you you answered one of Alfie's questions because one one of his first questions was. Name an experience that was just so great that you do it exactly the same or do it all over again. And it sounds like this new Ultraman, which is coming out on Netflix, might be right up there at the top of that. He, yeah. He asked the second part of it was, okay, if that's going to be a positive, name one project you wish you could forget or start over or never have done in the first place. Okay. <laughs> I guess I can say, I can just say, you know, transparency. Apologies to the project. 
But I was working on uh, a game. It was that uh, Horizon game with the shooting the archer girl, shooting the robotic creatures. Huh. What was it called? It was called Horizon. Horizon uh, Zero Dawn or something? That's it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Our project was called just Horizon. That's all we knew, Horizons. But I worked on that, and that was grueling. Just, <laughs> just the, and I'll say it, unreasonable requests for the amount of time given. You know, the expect expectation of what you could do in one day mm -hmm. was ridiculous. I, you know, a computer can maybe do it if we had mocap, you know, and we were using mocap, but I had to hand key the transitions to look like mocap. So, and we had to work to, we had to, we recreated a set exactly the size to get the mocap so that it dropped in and was, you know, to scale with our uh, virtual set and went to all these lengths and they just were just so, everything was just, they just were unimpressed with everything we showed them. And it, was, it got to a point where I, I just, it's the only project I've quit on. I said, get me off this project. Get me off the project. <laughs> and it's the only one I've said that about. And they did, they got me off the project. So thank okay. God. So, but I did so much towards that. Uh, I, I see my work, kind of, or the results of it, polished in the game. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, it was grueling, though, grueling. So then that makes me think of another question, right? So you said, get me off this project. Yeah. Is there, do you have an agent that finds you the work? Do you find the work? So since you're on hiatus, like um, how do you go about lining up the next job? Okay. Uh, it, it depends. Half the time I was freelance. So I was working project to project. And some projects were like, I worked on Predator for two weeks. I had to belt out a whole sequence in two weeks. And it got axed from the movie. They, they cut oh. to the end of it. So like, they might have filmed it. I, I like the original it. Predator? No. Oh, the, okay. the 2017 one. Okay. Wasn't, I wish I had my bit in it. I wish I put the end. Now, that was two weeks. Some projects are a year and a half, you know. So it really depends. So, uh, but at that time, I was working for a company called uh, The Third Floor, a, a previous company. They go with a big, uh, names so big marvel uh, names so did a lot of marvel stuff working for them but they were the ones i went to and said get me onto one of your other because there were other shows to transfer over to and i uh, i guess i was one of the point people to put on shows you know to uh elevate it you know, so the, the so the director would be you know wowed or surprised by what he saw that it was closer to his imagination than, you know, he, he anticipated. That was kind of my job. I was like to do that on a regular basis. Pretty hard after all. It's pretty hard just to do that just every day. But I don't know. Yeah. You got it. Good. Go ahead. D-Doc. That's why I got the, on, on the projects that I got put on because I was the guy that, you know, did the trailer shots, did those. The, the, the most expensive or the most uh, complicated sequences, um, I, I, I was lucky enough to be given. Um, and so uh, that's why my, uh, now I get to post uh, clips of uh, the movies that I specifically worked on. So it's kind of cool that I can show a snippet of 10 seconds of just all the shots as, as I 
created them, animated them. Because <clears throat> a lot of the Marvel stuff you can't mocap because they do stuff you can't do. Iron Man jumps and flies. <laughs> so we can mocap, and I'd be the one in the mocap suit as well on Avengers, the first Avengers. So I got in the suit and I do Iron Man jump, 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 and into the into the you know psh, that kind of thing onto a crash mat, you know. But then I'd hang key everything from that point. But it had to look seamless. It had to look, you know, they wanted to see like they wanted to know the more information you gave them, the more you could finalize exactly what the camera move was going to be. Had something to follow. Because the camera only responds to what's in front of it. It's not the other way around. If you go ahead of it, if you because you're animating the camera as well, you, the biggest mistake is an animator going ahead of his character. The character has to get to a certain point in frame before the camera is going to be like, oh, wait, 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 adjust, you know? You've got to be, you've got to show them, you've got to fake that realism. But, you know, I like that. That's the coolness of the job, you know? That's what keeps me waking up and coming to work every day. Exactly. You did that. You did the. Uh, did you do the Bulbasaur scene in the po uh, Detective Pikachu? I forget. I know you've posted that. You the, did uh, and up the river. That was one of the first sequences, and so many Bulbasaurs as well. Was, yeah. And all we, and we had the final plates, so all we had was the the guy, and so we had to put in uh, Pikachu and the Bulbasaurs and all those. Uh, we had to do some tests for how these things were going to uh, flow. The uh, I can't remember what they're called now. They're little flying mushroom things. They kind of light the way along the Bulbasaur path. Yes. Um, I think they might be gloom, if I'm not mistaken. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, we had to do a lot. Of, that's the fun thing is doing all the walk cycles and getting a, a buy-off on. Yeah, this, that's, I like the way that walks. Or adjust this. and So you get to do a lot more creative stuff than you probably think. <clears throat> but our primary job is to choose a lens and a position and a camera move that is going to work, not just for the shot, but into the edit, both sides, you know, feathered. And so there's lots of ways that you can make that transition better or jarring. And that's what you learn over time. So, yeah. And like my, my other question, like you've obviously, yeah. you've worked on like a ton of stuff, obviously on your INDB now, like, for for the simple brain like mine, could you lay out the difference between <laughs> um, pre visualization and post? Because yeah. like obviously, like that's like it took a me a while. It took me a while. Pre vis yeah. is I basically have uh, the the set in a virtual form, and so we ask for blueprints of the set. It's built to scale, exact scale. When we did Avengers, we built Manhattan to scale. We got it from Google Maps, <laughs> built it. Um, you actually can pay Google Maps to to get their one to you know use. So that's, that's what we, we did. Um, but and then uh, on Avengers, we found out what buildings we had roof access to, uh, so that we could actually get our shots, or they could reproduce the shots that we created. There wasn't a building that we would use that they you know, they couldn't reproduce, so they could copy out. All the, the lens information, uh, everything, camera height, everything uh, is shot. That's previs, and it's all in, it all plays out. If you watched it in God mode, like in a game, uh, 
it, granted, it might be just like you know, this shot, and then you have to wait a while, and it'd be this shot. You know, usually each Maya file is its own thing, so that shot exists for just that action, that beat. A beat is where you have a significant start and end to an action, like you know, cut in and uh, Captain America's jumping off the bridge onto the bus, along the bus, in my version, across to another bus. Uh, and in that version, there was uh, actually bombs that were uh, black hole bombs. They imploded stuff. And it, was, it got to a point where they thought it was going to be too expensive and they axed it. But my version had all these bombs, like black hole bombs and stuff. <laughs> and he jumps off and goes, there was one part where they wanted a cab door open and him to dive through the cab door, tumble and go past camera and just keep running. It was... Uh, you, you do you go you go too far and then they pull back. So that's your job, you know. And nice. post viz. Post viz is where they've shot the plate already. So your job is to test if that plate's gonna work. So you have to make again, you need a virtual set which is to scale, placing your cameras. You have to track the plate so that you can track the virtual set and reproduce that camera move within your set like it was set. It's a lot of backwards working. It could take a morning or even a day to do this process. It's the worst part of post-fizz to bid for because things can be a bear to track, to get to backtrack that data and make the computer figure out, oh, with this lens, that's what the camera must be doing to get this shot in this environment. You know? So we put our previews on top of this fake set cast shadows from our previews onto the set, make that green screen so we get the shadows, but not the set. So it acts as a holdout mat as well, the shadows. Shoot those characters, put them into the plate, do the effects, like if it's a reflection, it might have a reflection in the floor, do all that stuff. Maybe compose it with some our focus foreground elements and get it out, render it, put it into the edit and present it next day. Is is it just me, Brent? Indeed, two, sh two shots a day for previs, one shot a day for post viz. Does listening to this just make you feel like you are kind of not that smart? When I when <laughs> I, I'm I'm so, listening to this and I'm like, man, I just like to go to a movie. I didn't. I don't like to think about all the things that go yeah, into it. This is complicated. <laughs> so there's a lot goes on, and all this stuff that you're. you're I'm just making poses in a in a Maya. But doing it in a way that looks like the camera's not just moving with physics, but acting as well. So it's it's tough. It's a tough job. So how much cinematography background and crash courses have you had to have? I'm sure you've been doing this for probably what twenty years. I mean, Casper was in two thousand and six. Yeah. So Casper was 89, like eighty nine. Eighty nine. I started. Right. So you've been like, and and you were you've been through the CGI. Like, I mean, you kind of like came in when CGI was just yeah. getting its wave. It right? wasn't anything. Yeah. 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 Right. So you've been doing this for thirty years, but it's you're yeah. sounding like a cinematographer in many ways because you're talking yeah. about the you're talking about the type of lens because I know yeah. that there are decisions made because this lens for this like when you're actually shooting live live action, there are different lenses that will give you different effects and it'll read differently. Um, so you're talking about basic, how much cinematography work and learning did you have to, or is it just on the job crash course? Uh, I mean, I started animation, so we were framing 
without thinking of what the lenses we're framing, we just see the framing in our head and reproduce it. So if you have a, I, I did a film that was nominated for a BAFTA at college. One of the shops was an up angle of a bedroom window where it had all the perspective, you know. So it's just learning, again, kind of backwards, learning what lens is gonna give you that effect. So if I want the depth, I'll go for the wide angle lenses. If I want the flatness, I'll go for the longer lenses, you know. If I want, if you want, if I want to make it so flat that I can isolate the subject and blur the background, I'll go for the higher lenses. You know? So what do I want? What what do I want from the shot? What what's the function of the shot? Is the first question you ask before you even touch the keyboard. Like well, you can see a storyboard, but you can only see a frame, one frame. And it's as good as drawing as that person can draw. <laughs> Spielberg once drew a sock with a, an eyeball. That was Joey's head in Warhorse. But I kept that drawing. And in the <laughs> corner, he wrote 100 millimeter lens. I was like, I said, really? That you want to go uh, that long? Yeah. So put the lens on, and it's perfect, perfect. So like he just, he doesn't need to draw, but. Uh, going back to my point, you know, the first thing you want is the purpose of that shot. It, it forms a function with the link. Otherwise, it's redundant. You know, if it's, if it's wasted time, mm -hmm. you know, you can even use, use it for mood if you want, as long as you've got a, a reason, you know. But because, it, especially in animation, every frame, if I want to make a, a shot bigger, if I haven't got the the time to do the action believably with physics is if it looks look sped up to me, I have to request more time or we renegotiate how the distance covered maybe, or the amount of movement, the more direct, the faster. But if you want to open up the shot, you have to ask for that permission to open it, you know, 16 frames on my book, 16 frames. <laughs> Yeah, 16 frames. <laughs> but I need the 16 frames, 16 frames. I was one time in uh, Dinosaur, I had to get Aladar up off the floor in, uh, they wanted it in three seconds. I was like, what dinosaur? It goes from laying down to standing up in three seconds. That's the Ferrari of dinosaurs. <laughs> but that's all I had for the shot. I, I did tests for Aladar, and I put one on my TikTok, actually. And it, it was very, it, they wanted the, back then they wanted the majesty of dinosaurs. So majesty of dinosaurs for me was just the sheer size and weight and power of these things. Like they're just gargantuan compared to what we used to, you know, elephants on steroids. You know, so. I did this test and it was just, a, they wanted beha animal behaviors so they could maybe use them in herd shots. There was a purpose to them wasn't going to be thrown away animation. That's the worst thing. Mm -hmm. So I did this iguanodon doing a dust bath, kind of just rubbing itself in a dust bath. Like a, you know, and just thinking of the weight of it. it and just a, a small kind of couple of lunges was 400 frames. 400 frames is a, a long time. And the average shot is three seconds, 72 frames, you know. So 400 frames, I said, yeah, but that's the majesty of dinosaurs. We're not going to get shots there. The average shot is 72. When are we going to get a 400 frame shot to show this majesty? I'm just worried that 
it's going to be about action, and it is. And, and but I think we did a good job balancing the size of the dinosaurs versus uh, and believability versus action, considering ridiculously small amounts of time to go from oh he's up and running like it's good in two storyboard frames you hold on that first frame you see it and then he's up oh i buy it but when you actually do it it's like i kind of it's like it's like spring loaded (laughs) but uh, does that add the challenges we have does that add time then to the overall movie is that why they wanted in three seconds yeah so if, if everyone if everyone keeps increasing, it's going to bump that movie in a longer time, and then they're going to have to trim maybe other things like whole shots. Mm. So that's the worst part is that doing previews, you you're basically at the whim of the director to explore anything that they might fancy trying. So you sacrifice you know more than fifty percent of your work. You're just exploring or doing um, sequences for Avengers that never end up in the movie like whole sequences uh two that i did uh for black widow one was a, a, a fire a choreographed kind of fire where she's fighting off all the uh, alien guys one was a return to stark tower and going up in the skiff uh, what the alien skiff that she commandeered going back into stark tower how she get, gets in and involved with the grenades and stuff and you know and you know rotating the skiff and diving through the open window of Star Tower, uh, and then you see what gets trimmed, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> man, it hurts, hurts." Sometimes you don't see it till you see the final movie, because we sometimes work on a movie uh, years before it. We see it. It's years before we see it. Sometimes you forget you worked on it, and you see the trailer. And you're like, "Oh my god, one and only Ivan." I remember doing that shot with the painting with the mud and yeah, crazy. It was a crazy job. So earlier you mentioned, yeah, you, you, you took a picture that Steven Spielberg drew out real quick and everything. So yeah. you've worked on, on movies that had Steven Spielberg, Sam Raimi, Josh Whedon, Peter Berg, Guy Ritchie. How much interaction did you have with any or all of, of those people? Did you have much or was it? Depended. It depended, you know, because uh, a lot of the time you have to deal with the, the, the gateways in between. The, the people who position themselves mm-hmm. uh, to to protect is their job, you know, protect Mrs. You know, whatever the director. But uh, so whenever it's direct, it gets done quicker. <laughs> so, you know, I try to explain it, but you know, it's it's hard sometimes to get one on one with. The, the actual person so um but you know steven spielberg was at the same table and we we're showing the stuff on the laptop and getting the notes direct so we could you know and we actually there's this uh, special pen they used that, uh, that was recording and they had to say it's okay to you know, use this recording mr spielberg before we do it just so they got word, word for word so they could back check any of the notes Huh. Wanted to be more specific, you know, but uh, it wasn't to hold them accountable for something. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, you get to like Joss Whedon would stop by my desk on Avengers just to see which Scarlett Johansson background I had that day because every day <laughs> was a different one. And so he'd come by and like, okay, let me see, let me see, let me see the latest one. Okay, okay, 
I think we'd all agree. We 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 would all watch anything that had Scarlett Johansson. I know, I know. I am, I'm, you know, like, like my wife. She likes Johnny Depp. She likes uh, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. And so I got Scarlett Johansson. You know, it's fair. It's a it's a fair trade off. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, so I, I was reading through some of your your notes on IMDb and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this is a Star Wars kind of related show here, focus show, but Star Trek Beyond? I, yeah. have, I have not checked that out. You had some involvement with that? Yeah. Uh, my first job on it was uh, the Enterprise coming out of Warp. Is that, can you hear Wookiee? I can hear, I, yes. Can you guys hear? Yeah. Wookiee. <laughs> Wookiee. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> he is a Wookiee as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it, okay. Um, it happens to me all the time. Wookie, I... Come here. Yeah, I've had come here. <laughs> Wookie, come here. Come here. Yeah. I'm gonna show yourself. Come here. How how big of a dog is Wookie? <laughs> He's 101 pound. He's uh he he looks like a a very tall, big black lab. Okay. And we looked up, they said he was Black Lab Mastiff, but I looked up Black Lab Mastiff on Google and it didn't look too much like Black Wookiee. So <laughs> I looked up Black Lab Irish Wolfhound and it was like, oh my God, that's my dog, you know? Okay. But I think Irish Wolfhound, because of the long legs, like, you know, you could play basketball. I mean, you're talking about two of the largest dog breeds <laughs> yeah. known to man. The yeah. Irish Wolfhound or Mastiff. Uh, you're not talking. Uh, you're not talking about mixing a lab with any uh, any Shih Tzu here. We're talking about big yeah. boys. Don't get me started. When when I when my wife came back with the puppy, I was like, "This isn't a puppy." And I said, "He paws like my fists." I said, "This isn't a puppy." He says, "It's three months old." I said, three months old. Look at the size of him." So it's gonna be a polar bear. And yeah, he's got big feet. But he does his job, you know. We got him to be a guard dog, and he's really good at that. So. I I would They're think anyone, Yeah, I, I would say people are gonna be nervous to see and hear that dog right there. <laughs> my my, I have three dogs. They average fifteen pounds a piece, and uh, he would probably use them as a chew toy. So, um, but hey. then it's three bags when we go walking. Though. Oh well, yeah, good no. ten. 15 pounds there, isn't it? Oh, hefty bags. Hey, what was I talking about before Wookiee uh, was... I don't. I don't even remember. We were talking about Scarlett Johansson versus Robert Downey Jr. I know that. Hey, um, Alfie mentioned the the Falcon painting or the Falcon artwork you're working on. Is that... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that around? around? Do you have that around there or is it accessible? Yeah, yeah, but I, Joe, I, while he's looking for that, do you remember that vibe, that probe okay. droid was about half yes. done? Yes, I it was, was about say half that. done about a year ago. Look at yep. that thing; it's almost done. That thing's gorgeous. The he's got what fed probe droid? Not finished. Ah, oh. look at Damn. that! Yeah, Alfie, right now you can almost hear the hear <laughs> that is <him>. big. <laughs> that yeah, is huge. Big. That's why it's taking so long. I can almost hear him screaming. Let's do that video. corner. This talk corner up here. Uh, I'm gonna just do a final. Details on 3PO, like sharpen up his uh, reflections. Do a once fi- finish pass on him. 
And then I might do a kind of, because if you look at some of the prints, it has this blue wash. So I was thinking of doing like blue with some gesso. Just try it on a corner at first. But then if it looks good, maybe doing a, a kind of just a slight blue on the whole thing just to tie it together. So is wow. this paint? And then black it... out, black, you know, black borders for the widescreen at top and bottom. Is it is it charcoal? Like what medium are you using? It's acrylic paint. Okay. It's paint. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's on canvas. It's yeah. absolutely like gorgeous. Canvases. Can we my eye has been drawn to that Bespin scene as well the entire time he's been talking. And then oh, I know. <laughs> and then the Boba Fett behind oh, him with yeah. the rocket that's been coming out of his head too. So oh, yeah. both the, the... that's the Buck Don Post life size. I got that back in like nineteen ninety-eight around there. Is that Bespin Nine. one is that Bespin apartment one one of that you've done as well? Sorry? The one with the Bespin apartment, Cloud City apartment, over your. Oh, this left one. Shoulder. Yes. Mine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's. Yeah. I like that one. These too. are both mine. Um, Fantastic. Have you Have you ever thought about getting like, like I know you go to conventions to say, "Hey, yeah. I'm going to sign things as Boba Fett and all that kind of stuff." Have you ever thought about putting some of your artwork together and doing? We We were just at a. A convention in in Nashville, which I think you'd been to in the past. Oh, the uh, ICCC, yeah, yeah, yeah. the the art the artwork were the artwork there was fantastic. I bought two or three prints myself yeah. uh, and brought them home. Uh, but I think it is your 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 stuff right there would sell like hotcakes. Kind of <laughs> I want to I want to get enough to put on a whole show gallery. You know, if I can have a gallery with 30, 40 pieces in it. That'd be worth visiting, I think. I had someone come recently uh, on Saturday uh, who wanted to see them in person. And um, so he came over and he said, you know, it's hard to capture. It's better to capture it in video than it is um, still photography for the, the color and the, the, the sheen. The, uh, video, I think, is okay. You can actually kind of look at it. You don't get that kind of... If I took a picture of it, you get always get a shine, you know. Mm -hmm. Or the colors just don't look like they true to as much as true as I was hoping they would be, because that's the hardest part. That's the biggest thing I've done on. That's what, when I started this. I decided I was gonna not paint lazy like I normally do. Like I was actually gonna, I wasn't gonna kind of look at the color. I was brown. I was gonna really look at the color and think actually it's like a a yellow gray, you know. It's not brown. It's like a yellow-gray. Actually, isolate that color. I cheated with a piece of paper that I cut a hole in so I could look at that color against white without any of the others oh. interfering. And it uh, worked for me because I can actually see that color and then think, okay, that's the color I want to make. And so I, I work hard getting the colors. And if the color's wrong, then I'll go over the color with the one that's closer, like the Dubac uh the Dubek um, top trading card I painted, that blue was specific. I remember it. It was like a turquoisey blue, you know. I wanted it was a specific blue for the frame of some of those Star Wars toy uh, cards. So I, it was hard. I did a color, but when it dried, it dried in the wrong color. And so I had to do, go over with it, sponge. <laughs> Been there, done it. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, so uh, Brent, Brent here is, is our resident Star Wars Legion guy. I don't know if you've, we've discussed Star Wars 
legion with you. It's playing with how tall are they, Brent? An inch and a half? About, about an inch and a half. And it's this They're gray plastic. I don't you yeah. got some England in you, so uh Warhammer, it's basically yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's Star Wars version of Warhammer. Yeah. So, I, so I looked at it and I was like I, I saw the dollar value that I was gonna attach to it. And I was like, quick, look away. Yeah, so I promised the wife. I promised so, the wife. So the Star Wars stuff is actually half price compared to some of the other uh games that are out there. So that's one thing that I got going for me, but it's definitely it's definitely an investment. But yeah, no, hitting it with the acrylic paint and then trying to get the color match or you you have this you have this I don't know, you I go and look all the different color um on the five oh first and I'm looking at these colors and I'm like, Well, this'll but then when it dries, you're like, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I gotta hit it with some highlights because that's not the color that I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate I haven't got the patience to do a, a test. I just mm. like go for it. Um, but I've decided with acrylics, sometimes I'll use uh, it heavily watered. So it's mm -hmm. more like a watercolor. Like yeah, yeah. That way you can just take that tint down to mm -hmm. exactly what you think it should be. So um, it is quicker than doing the whole thing. And plus, if you look at any, you close up on any color picture, there's always a, like at least two colors, you know, splodges of two different colors. That make that overall. When you, if you go, if you magnify it enough times, and so I, I kind of want that. I don't want that flat. I, I do like the sponge getting that irregularity in the the color. Just I don't. Know. Well, That's I the mean, artist in me. There you go. Right, you're talking about that. Like I watch a lot of painting people. Like I, my 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 life and everything has changed, but I watch people yeah. actually paint stuff. And one guy that I watch is will go to his grave saying that trees are not brown. Right. Like if you actually look at a tree, it's not brown. Like we tell yeah. kids and kids draw and use the brown crayon, but yeah. trees themselves are not brown because there's hints of red. There's hints of green. There's yeah. hints of black. And it, each different tree is a little bit different. Yes. The eyes read it as brown, but when you get in and look at it, they're not really just brown. So you could yeah. start with a green base and put some red over the top and, You've never painted it brown, but the eyes are going to read it as a brown shade. Yeah. It's funny you say that because when I was a kid, you know, to be in someone who drew, I would draw the sky as, you know, the background. It'd be this flat surface on which I put stars and a moon, you know, and clouds. And it took me until I was, uh, I guess, well in my 30s before I actually looked at the sky properly as something that wasn't flat wasn't the artist version of the night sky and actually the the, the, the moon went from a circle to a sphere with a shadow and then the the stars dropped back from the moon like holy you know i i spent so many years flattening <laughs> in my in my brain my artist brain that it dominated my reality brain it's crazy Crazy some of the, the things that you, you can unlock in your brain or you discover about your own uh, brain from just doing the time lapses that discovered so much about how the way I work. I was like, oh, my God, I like this kind of mechanical machine almost. It's very, very mechanical the way my brain works on, on a painting. If you ever see it sped up, you know, you see it crushed into like simplicity and like, oh, wow. I guess that's how I do it. I think in I think in squares almost. Mm -hmm. 
cues. You know, yeah, I, I, I really, I'm enjoying the show because usually it's on the edge of fart jokes and, you know, <laughs> like, you know, stupid banter. And here we are getting way deep into art yeah. and visualization and everything. people are going to listen to the show and go, are these the same guys? Uh, we can do it all, man. We can do it all. <laughs> That's the spectrum of this show. See, it is. It yeah. is. You know, uh, Scott Ripon. We had um, Scott Ripon is one of our good friends. He's on the show all the time, mm-hmm. and he he wrote me when we did the Okairo show. Yeah, and 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 we had first Okairo on, and he said, "This is why people listen to your show because." You bring in all different vantage points and viewpoints and discussions, topics. And he said, it's not the same show every week. We, the three of us might think it's the same show every week, but people who listen to us, I guess, say, Hey, we, we do bring some variety into it. So Mark, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're bringing some different things out of left field here because it's, it's sprucing the place up a little bit, but um, yeah. Um, uh, Real quick. I'll ask, has, Anybody or everybody watched? Oh, look at this! Where I got to bring out the first figure that I painted. With, uh, <laughs> oh the, yeah, uh, the Bandai uh, yeah, Boba yeah. Fett, which I have a lot of this was uh, pre-painted, <laughs> and I did the uh, wash on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. That's when I was getting into that world. But I, I got to admit, the uh, the Boba Fett models that I've painted, uh, I actually had Matt Evans, my buddy, paint because I was too scared to paint the. <laughs> it was really, it was like the first model that I had purchased, and I was really scared to paint it. Because yeah, of yeah. all the different color variations, now I'll yeah. paint anything. But heck, I'll even paint a a, a, a mythosaur skull, <laughs> which you did. I know. Um, a, I just recently got the new one too, but I haven't even put a um, I haven't even put any paint on it yet, just because the colors yeah. are pretty nice, honestly, for the model itself. And the yeah. it didn't it didn't come with those um, it didn't come with the stickers where you can kind of wash it on with the water, like. Uh, so I don't know. I'm kind of leaving this one be for now because yeah. he's not very battle damaged in Book of Boba Fett. No. You know, his armor is kind of clean. So, yeah, I don't really know what to do with it as far as painting goes. I think we got to clean that too quickly. Personally, I, I really was a big fan of the the silvered up, beaten up, sarlacc washed helmet. It was like the sexiest it looked for a long time. <laughs> Seriously. And I know it's like every scar adds to the coolness of the helmet. And that's what is one of the things for me that pulled me into it. You can see that it had been worn. It had history. What about the, the black undersuit, though? What do you think of it? Well, how do you take the the uh, the flight suit, I guess, is what it was? I don't mind. I don't mind. Only because I, I've worn the suit. <laughs> so... <laughs> That looks way more comfortable. <laughs> way more comfortable. You can probably sit down in that one. You know, the hardest part is sitting uh, in the suit, uh, which you didn't ever have to do on camera. But, you know, between takes, you just have to stand. You can't really sit. You know, you can perch at best. <laughs> perch, but you've got to worry about that codpiece snapping. Mm. So it goes hey, you, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, speaking yeah. of of the Boba Fett family, the F- Boba Fett, all the all the men who've been the 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 Boba Fett, uh, the Fett, Daniel Logan, you you two had some interaction. Did, did you guys work on something together? Was it a? Because uh, I know he does the the box stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, the bounty boxes. Yeah, did you do some work with him on on that on on yeah. some things? I... We just was uh, just messing around with this idea of. Uh, 
it was just a yeah, us two when we get in his backyard <laughs> after a couple of Stella Artois, you know. It's uh, we're not the most serious people, but we were talking about doing maybe something that you know was like a little kind of flash animated feel thing that I could do in uh, Maya, you know. So I said I could probably just do something, uh, and so we just kind of so someone like we took a random question uh, from a friend of ours and we answered and I animated part of it, but uh. Then, then Daniel was all kind of gung ho on, you know, maybe we should do something with this and actually have a podcast or something. But um, maybe one day, maybe one day. You know what? I, I think that sounds, I think that sounds great. Get any and all. We know all these people in the suit, you know, and and get you together with different points of view. Get yeah. different guests in there. You guys yeah. could have some fun. It'll be, it'll be a little bit different because we know uh, these guys from spending times with them. At these conventions, you know, after a while, after a while, you uh, become really good friends with people just through spending hours and hours on weekends with them, you know. But these are people that, you know, for half of these people are people that were my childhood heroes, you know. Uh, and then it's really cool when they're uh, emailing you and uh, asking, you know, send this in to you, uh, uh, Happy Father's Day or something like that, you know. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. I, 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 that was a, it was something that I didn't ever foresee happening when I, I just wanted to be Boba Fett like I did when I was 13 years old. <laughs> it was 13 years old that decided that's what I wanted to be. Uh, didn't know it was going to take 15 years, but um, it happened. And I, but I never ever saw beyond that. I never saw doing these. I never saw foresaw doing conventions. I just wanted to be Boba Fett, period. That's all I wanted. Well, you know, um, one question popped in my head because yeah. I, I was lucky enough at the ICCC, uh, DDoc was right there. They turned to me and said, Ian McDermott's coming in. Would you like to be on and ask some questions with him and be on the the interview with him? And I'm thinking to myself, I kind of froze. DDoc pushed me and said, yes, he wants to do it. Um, but I froze because I'm thinking I'm going to be two or three feet away from Ian McDermott asking questions. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done as a Star Wars fan. With all the things you've done, all the interactions you've had, I mean, let's face it, you've met Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and, you know, I'm, I'm sure so many other people. Has there been somebody that you've either worked with or interacted with or maybe at a convention where you bumped into them and got to meet them that you kind of had to pinch yourself and say, I can't believe that I'm sitting here doing this right now. I think that goes for all, all of the directors that I've admired. You know, on the first interaction or the fifth, it doesn't matter. You, you, the respect. I, I was lucky enough to meet Irving Kirshner you know, before he passed. Um, and uh, that was just an amazing experience. I just wanted to, because that was, if I had to pick. You know, one movie to watch over and over again on the desert island, it would be The Empire Strikes Back. It just would. Uh, I could watch that on the loop, you know. Uh, I actually watched it on the way to the convention to watch it. <laughs> it was actually one of the selections. Okay, that's the first one. Um, but um, it, always, you know, uh, so respectful of like these guys because these are my heroes. I, I want, I'm, I'm there to learn from them, you know. And each one, you first have to. First, you have to understand not just the uh, intent that they're going for. It's not a storyboard. Storyboards I can read. 
it's the intent that is how you thread those storyboards. You know, the, the, the meter, the, the tempo of the piece. And you have to have those rise and falls. If you're going to get any, if it's a one thing for a whole sequence, <laughs> you have to have the, those drama. You have to have the, the, oh, the lulls and the crescendos and lulls. Keep everyone entertained and hopefully build to one big one at the end and a drop. And that's the sequence. And that's, that makes a sequence work. And a sequence, just the same as a shot, has a purpose, you know, a change of feel in the link for the story. But uh, each director will have a preference of lenses. That's one of the biggest things. So uh, some some directors love, love, love a 27mm lens. Okay, then I'll definitely use that first. <laughs> you know, and if it doesn't work, then go to somewhere else. Uh, on Ultraman, one of the sequences I wanted to play homage to a famous Japanese director who always used uh, 50 millimeter lenses. And so I did build this whole entire sequence with 50s whenever I could. There's a couple of shots I had to go wider, but um, just to kind of as homage to, to him. But um, it's great kind of uh, trying to get inside the head of a director and they can make it easy or hard, you know. Um, they're, the, the, the ones that are easier, the more I can do because I, the closer to balls I can get that first iteration. And I've got two just to polish it. But if I'm, if I'm trying to read a director or if there's somebody that's in between me and the director, which has happened a lot, I can't read the director if I can't see him mm -hmm. or hear him. I'm getting, it's like the, the telephone game. I'm yep. getting your version of what he said. And while you're writing, you're not necessarily listening. So I would rather be there. And I don't want to write anything. I want to listen, understand exactly what I do by the time he finishes, not write a series of notes. You know, if it's specifics, yes. 100 millimeter lens or the sock puppet, yes, Mr. Phil. Do that first. I'll start there. And I'll give him that version. Even if it does, I feel it doesn't work, I could get something better. I'll give him his version. I'll give him my version. And you can choose LB. They usually go with their initial one, but they appreciate choice. Well, a lot of Ultraman, they give them a lot of choice. Lot of, once, a, once you've animated a, a, a scene in the computer, you can film it from any angle. And as long as you've not cheated the 3D space, because mm -hmm. some people do, and then you put a camera on it, it's like, oh, it doesn't actually, uh, it moves this way instead. <laughs> it doesn't work. If you've done your job, which you should, you can film it from any angle and you get the coverage of that same one. And in the, in the editing suite, they can cut between all three of them, you know? <clears throat> so it's, it's, we actually go to a lot of lengths in previous. And the worst part is that it is hidden. You know, it's, it's unspoken about. It's, nobody knows because nobody... I, I really thought that I was going to see on the bonus features of a DVD. I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get after Christmas. That was my first one. I'm gonna watch the bonus features. The one with the bonus features, I'm gonna get that and see the previews and nothing, nothing. I don't think we I even got a credit on that one. <laughs> Go we ahead, went Brent. to the wrong till you what? we went to the wrong till you. It's one of my favorite quotes from that movie. <laughs> 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 you were on that movie? After Christmas, yeah. Oh 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, the first sequence we had to do was all the gnomes parachuting down doing oh, it. Oh, one of my favorite sequences so, right at the very beginning. Yeah, and all like <laughs> skiing down and you know all that stuff. So um that was the first sequence. There's a lot of movement. Uh, it was a lot of traveling. Oh, but it was fun. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, Wookie. That has become that has become a household must watch. Sorry, it's okay. I got you, Wookies. That, Arthur's Christmas is one of is our household's must watch every year for Christmas. Oh, cool. I, I, that's a, that's, a, that's the thing that makes validates uh, what I do is hearing those stories or hearing people say Casper. Wow, Casper was like, you know, I grew up with Casper. Like, oh man, I feel like that's the validation. It, it takes a long time coming. But the years that ahead, you know, 20, 30 years, maybe after you've done it, you get validation for it. So what's the next step for Mark Anthony Austin? Is the next step directing? Is the next step because it sounds like you have a lot of a lot of the thoughts yeah. to go through directing? Like it's directing a I'm hinting at Netflix that that's what I want to do. Okay. Uh, I actually do I'm working on a couple of uh, uh, stories to pitch so as soon as i got them uh, all packaged up uh, all the details filled in then uh, I, I might push for that but yeah because uh, you know you kind of a mini director in some ways you, you direct the the hard stuff <laughs> i mean i'm like listening action. to you explain everything of this like right the there is definitely a lot of directing and art directing and cinematography that yeah. is coming out of what you're just teaching yeah. us in the last hour of teaching us about movie making and animation. Yeah. So I was just curious, is that kind of the next step for you? It's just yeah. to get into the, the full scale, be that director to share their vision with everybody? I, I, that's what I have. The nice thing about Netflix is they give you an artist manager. And so the artist manager is there to kind of listen to you. And that's what I told her is that the next thing I would like to do. I, I've, I've directed so many different things. Uh, I, I had so much boot camp, I feel like I could easily take something, you know, and, and the, the, the projects I've been most involved with have ended up successful. Like the first Avengers, I worked on that for 12, uh, 14 months. I was the co-supervisor and it broke box office records. So after that, I, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to supervise next? And they, they never let me supervise again. <laughs> That's why I end up freelance because they never let me supervise again. I gave him an ultimatum in the end. I said, please, I'll give you six months. Just give me something to supervise. I'm, I'm going to throw. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw something in that you said you saw. Yes. You, you said you like that affirmation, right? I think we all like affirmation. My wife will tell tell people I'm I'm an affirmation person. Like when somebody shows shows me something about me, I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm happy as can be. Um, but um. We just had, again, we're going back to the Okairo uh, show. We asked Okairo, and, and you two should connect. Online, he's huge. He does YouTube videos. <laughs> he's incredible. He's working on some projects right now, which I don't think we're allowed to say. But he's, he's, We're allowed to say what he's working on on HBO. Okay. Yeah, okay. he's working on House of the Dragon right now. He's working oh, yeah. on House oh, of the yeah. Dragon right now. So he's working on House of the Dragon. But when we asked him a movie that he's watched more than any other movie, do you guys remember what movie it was? Uh, Treasure, Treasure Planet. Planet. Treasure yeah. Planet. Oh, really? <laughs> it's a movie he's watched more than any other wow. movie. That's and crazy. I see that right on your 
IMDb right there. Yeah, yeah. I on that on that movie, I worked on Ben, obviously the Martin Shaw character, the crazy robot. <laughs> before Ben was up and running, because he was actually uh, designed by uh, and souped by Oscar with uh, with Gaia, and I took over when Oscar left um, in during the project. But before that was, he was working on that. I was doing all these space whales and the manta birds. So I had to kind of populate the background. So I do a lot of cycles and flight patterns. And it's got to work 3D, but also work graphically 2D for the composition of the shot and the lens. So it's, again, a lot of fiddling around, especially that one shot of the space whales where they, was, they said they wanted like at least 60. Well, okay. 60 <laughs> flying in, in squadron, V squadrons at different heights. And they had some artwork. Okay, I, I try and do that. And uh, yeah, that one worked out really well actually. Uh, but if you if you watch it, there's not two whales animate the same. You won't ever see. They might be close every now and again, but you won't ever see two. There's there's, there's not. I never didn't duplicate that animation and you reuse it. Everyone was you know tweaked differently. So yeah, it turned out really good that shot. I was really proud of that. But. Um, yeah, it didn't do very well at the box office. That's the unfortunate part. D-Doc, I'm going to let you meet. Brent and I keep asking all kinds of stuff. What, what do you got over there? Well, it was funny because oh, I... Oh, Robocops. Sorry, the Robocops. I forgot those. <laughs> and the same and uh, Treasure Planet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what Okairo's made the argument that movies like that should get a remaster and, and be put out just because, I mean, people they, the, people do love Treasure Planet. Like, I've talked to a lot of people who really like it, and some of those movies catch on after the box office, you know? And yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you see it in deep, especially with streaming now, like people will stream it. I don't know if it comes yeah. in sales, but I actually saw, I was on TikTok the other day, and I yeah. saw, I want to share it on here because I saw a helmet that um a guy got that you had an autograph on and i was just like oh look at that so let me i want to okay. just share the screen real quick and uh show this guy's video his name is uh sims collectibles and he had this right autograph here and there's a plate with your name on it with, uh, i think there's only a hundred of them Oh yeah, yeah. I remember doing that for Daniel Logan. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. Dickie Beer and Don Box. Yeah. There you are, right there. I was watching. I was like, oh look at that. There's Mark. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I can't remember how many. There like three, three hundred or five hundred of those things. One hundred worldwide. One hundred. One hundred world. Maybe he's got a hundred okay. of them. Yeah. One hundred. Yeah, it's a nice. Well, I think he did a hundred in black, and I think since then he did like a different color or something. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty funny. I saw that pop up, and I was just like, "Oh, look at that!" Yeah. Hey, um, has has yes. everyone has everyone here uh, watched the gallery of the Mandalorian? I figured I talk. We talked a little Star Wars real quick. Has anybody watched the gallery of the Mandalorian season three? Season three? Has anyone watched that? If you haven't, I didn't know okay, it was out. It's yeah, out. It's out. It's, it's on out. the. It's one of like the headline banner things on mine at least. Yep. I've so, been on Disney Plus for a while. Well, if you guys have all well, seen it, you guys can talk about it. No, I don't. I don't it's okay. I, I mean, I watched it. My, it go ahead. It's on my banner, but I haven't watched it. Um, well, I, we don't have to. I'm just passing. Care. I'm just throwing out ideas. But one of the things that really stood out to me on that um, was how 
I figured we just throw some Star Wars stuff in here and sprinkle maybe sprinkle a little bit of that in there. I mean, um, it is rule of galaxy. It is. It is. We do have podcast. Boba Fett on with us. We too, do have. So yeah, we, we have Boba Fett. <laughs> I mean, uh, Doctor Squatch says Boba Fett. Boba Fett in the flesh. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so Dave Filoni uh, said he was really taken aback when Favreau said we're going to put a baby Yoda in this, and he in in season three in the gallery. He he brings it up and he said, "Why are you wanting to do this? What what it what good can you know can any good happen with this? You know, Yoda's one of the most loved characters. Now we're going to throw another one out there. You know, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen." And, we, and and he brought up the story about how uh, Irving, uh, what's his name? Uh, not Irving Kershner. Um, no, you, the, the you see puppets. The puppet. um, yes. The yeah. client, what's his name? The, yeah, um, I'm blanking. Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Yeah, I just had Irving Kirshner in my head from from our earlier conversation, but he was like, and then we thought, oh, well, we'll just CGI, you know, all this stuff, right? We don't have to worry about it. And he goes, and then he said, no, you got to keep it a puppet. He goes, and here we are, three seasons later, still with a puppet out here, right? Uh, but I just thought it was really fun and interesting that that Filoni was like, whatever, John, if that's what you want to do, we'll do it, you know. Um, but to think that that little thing that John Favreau was like, no, we're, we're going to do this. Right. I mean, uh, that here we are three seasons later and people are like, you know, where's baby Yoda? Where's Grogu? I think it was kind of crazy. Go ahead. So, so Mark, does it help to have a puppet to then 3d model? What, like, so to take it into the animation world, does it help to have a practical effect that you can then 3d model it, but into the virtual setting? Yeah, it's, it's always good to have uh, a th- uh, something that's on the set that people can interact with and see, even if there's parts of it that you want to add CGI, like tentacles at the back or something, you know. But uh, it, it, as long as you've got the head of it, you know, like I think they did that with the Rancor. As long as you've got the head, you can add the body, you know, and, and no one's going to, no one should be looking at the body. If you've done your job properly, everyone should be looking where they're looking, that's whoever's speaking, you know. So, um, it, it, I, I always like there to be something. I, I've never been a. I thought the prequels, the thing that the prequels did best was illustrate how an overuse can backfire, you know, of green screen. It just was too much. It, it, it's harder for the actors, you know. Now we have the volume, this, it's redundant anyway, because the actors have something to act within instead of this void of green, you know. Yeah, uh, and that green, you know, some of the nightmares I've had. Uh, another part of post fears is testing the plate to see if it's usable. And there was a shot that I was working on on the first Goosebumps movie. It was looking within the car out the windshield, and there was going to be a giant mantis put on top in front, but the giant mantis spits at the car. So outside the front of the windshield, there's a green screen with a Dirty great chrome apparatus with a goop gun pointed at the camera. And that was going to squirt the goop. We had to remove the green screen and the apparatus, which was chrome. You, you can imagine how many shades of gray are on chrome. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, why did they stick? Why did they see the chrome behind green and just have the nozzle poke out? And so, after so much trial, you know hours and hours, days it went on actually, trying to extract just the green and the gun and none of the goop and you know, the goop 
it's translucent, so you're going to see that chrome through the goop. So. Oh, it ended up that they just removed everything and they just did it all CG, even the goop. So I was like, I did all that for nothing. <laughs> but yeah, some of the nightmares you have with green screen. For, for now, you know, I one of the first things I worked on, the one of the first people to use it was I can't. I'm, Bugging on his second name, you might better Google it. But Joe, that did uh, directed Oblivion, um, he uh, he did the he had the sky dome, which was all these glass windows. So it's going to be a nice thing. Glass is the worst thing to uh, using any kind of keying. So because of the reflex, he had reflections in it, and you know, mm -hmm. so. When we looked at this in the previews, it was like, oh, my God. So he, he tried out this 360, uh, you know, projection, and that's what became, you know, evolved into uh, the volume. But that movie is great because the, the, all the actors, Tom Cruise included, felt like they were in, in, the, in the clouds, you know. They could, uh, it's going to affect their performance, enhance a performance you know yeah. so it's uh, like Judah roberts when she did peter pan uh or hook sorry mm -hmm. and she was tinkerbell and she did everything on green screen she never interacted because she was going to be made small everything was green screen all everything she had and she just said i am never going to do this <laughs> and, she, and, she, it's, and good for her you know good for her it must be it's it's hard and i've, I've had to do mocap like I said, for Avengers, and all we do is we measure out. We have, like, luckily some crash mats and some large uh, crates that you can set up uh, the, the area. You know, the, okay, this is the top of a, a, a Greyhound bus, you know. Make put all the crash mats, the length of a Greyhound bus, and try and reproduce everything so they drop in into the shop. Um, there's so much. Uh, I don't know how I got onto this subject. I mean, <laughs> the original question was, but uh, it's really, yeah, it's really hard to act and not just do the performance, but imagine you're in this environment which doesn't exist. So locations way easier to act on location, or in the volume, you know, at least you can imagine. It helps your imagination. You're in that tattooing desert, you know, yeah, sunset, you know, around a campfire. Like, oh, I believe it, you know. Yeah, so, that's a. I I was recently just watching the um, Hobbit movies and um, just the difference between them and the original Lord of the Rings movies with how much CGI that they did in those. Um, yeah. I really, I, I've never watched a lot of behind the scenes on the Hobbit, and I'm curious to just because, like, I I was recently watching the uh, de the Desolation of Smaug, and it's like when he's with all the gold and everything, it was funny because I'm like looking at the screen and I'm like, I feel like the lighting on Bilbo doesn't match like the room that he's in right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, I'm a, I, I actually, I'm not a Hobbit. Uh, I, I know some people didn't like the Hobbit trilogy or whatnot. The main thing is, is it's just like, I feel like it's almost similar to the prequel trilogy of star Wars where George went like heavy into like CGI and a lot of different things. Yeah, it's, Peter Jackson kind of did this the same thing with Lord of the Rings. He 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 went heavy into it. Has to be a lot of green screen and stuff like that. Yeah. 
I've seen Benedict Cumberbatch crawling around on the ground with the face capture for when he played Smaug and in, in those scenes and everything. Yeah. But yeah. uh yeah, that I don't know. That's that's some stuff I find interesting because now it's like I feel like people are starting to mix practical with CGI now too. It's like they're they're giving the best of both worlds yeah. and marrying them together and I think that makes for a very good visual thing on the screen. But I think JJ Abrams started steering it back to that happy balance. Mm-hmm. Because I, I really wish that we'd had, if they had resurrected the Jabba puppet for special edition, if they had, can you imagine what that shot would have been? <laughs> like, it, a lot of people love that shot just because of me playing Boba Fett in it. Like, just the fact he turns up. But if you can imagine, if they had the, the, the puppet Jabba, who was as real as every other person in that play in Return of the Jedi for me. Still is. I look at Jabba from Return of the Jedi, he's real, you know? I, I would have loved to have, if they'd just gone the extra on that those shots and, and you know, done a, a, a proper puppet Jabba that they comped over the top of the guy. But I, is, it, is it possible even... I'm I'm probably well, I'm so unknowledgeable on this, but I know the big deal was that Han Solo walked over the tail, right? Okay. okay. But would, stop you there. Could they have spun the camera with him to make it different in nowadays with how it how the technology I, we have? Well he goes around the back and obviously there's no change in elevation in the original right. play. And they did a version and it for me it was like it wasn't pretty because I didn't think even in one frame Jabba's face looked right you know Jabba just didn't he didn't look it's like they didn't whoever modeled him I didn't know any of the modelers this I, I only knew what I did what was given to me this is why I was as an animator you work with the director get your notes go back to your desk and you know the animation crew but every department's uh, segregated it back was back then thankfully now there's a lot more crossover like I was talking about uh, Ultraman previous kind of acts like a hub with editorial works with editorial very closely between all the departments like art department testing out their versions their latest art whatever but back then it was very segregated and so obviously i it felt like the, the, the guy didn't care to make it <laughs> screen extra whoever modeled it i don't know who modeled it but the, the model that gave me my stormtrooper for the stormtrooper shots did a horrendous job i the stormtrooper uh, helmet literally bent at, at proper right angles here instead of fl- flaring at the bottom. Literally, right, you, put, you could put a set square in there, <laughs> a true right angle. And I was like, and the, the lenses were like aviator sunglasses, top, like top gun. I'm like, I said to the guy, I said, uh, this, this doesn't look anything like a stormtrooper. Like, I can't use this. He said, I'm. We're done. It's in your hands. Like oh. we're finished. Like you're, you got to live with it. And besides, you're not going to see it up on the top of the sand dune, like because you'd seen that. Look, sir, droids. You know, which begins with them up on the dune top. You're not going to see them up front. I said, you look at my first shot. It's that one going past the camera. Well, I can't use this. It looks. It looks like a, a bad knockoff toy. For for toddlers, it doesn't even look like a proper 
doesn't even look an action figure looks better than this. How can an action figure from this, you know, from the original 77, that one looks closer than this does. So he said, I'm done with it. So I went and I had a friend that was pretty good at modeling in soft homage, and that's all we were using was soft homage. Uh, they were using alias to model in for the proper uh, uh, models, but we had soft homage. And he showed me how to put a lattice on and start sculpting uh, the, the wireframe. And you sculpt it and you kind of freeze it. And you sculpt it a bit more and freeze it. And you keep doing that. So you kind of slowly, it's like a Rubik's Cube, get it closer and closer and closer to having all, you know, blocks of colors on each side. You know, everything kind of stretched into the Stormtrooper helmet that you see on the screen today. But I had to learn how to do that in overtime because it wasn't my job. And mm -hmm. But I, there was no way I could. I I didn't have any backpacks for the sand troopers, or pauldrons, or anything for them to hold. I I sculpted all that stuff on my own and, and over time because I I couldn't not. I had to have it. It I called it. It was like I said. This is early days of CG. I called it the days of uh, virtual duct tape and super glue because that's what it <laughs> felt like. That's what it felt like. We just were working with what we had. And like the brachiosaur, they took the brachiosaur and they took the skin off the brachiosaur, put new skin on it. It's a ronto. Like, but the, <laughs> the skeleton isn't in the right space for the rest of the anatomy. Like the the, the neck vertebrae went in a different arc to the neck of the ronto, which had that kind of weird question mark kind of head. That's not what brachiosaur has. It hasn't got that big question mark. So everything in the chest was like really kind of moving funkily because all the pivot points are at the back of the neck. So there's a lot of moving in front, very little at the back, you know. It was it was a, amazing that we managed to finish the creature animation in six months. Uh, and I was doing it solo as well. Uh, John Knoll took all the spaceships. I had creatures. Steve oh. Williams had Jabba. That's how they split it. Uh, and, and everyone assumed they don't even know that the land speed are going in. I had to animate that with all the characters in it. I had to animate all the land speeders that are uh, you know, moving around Mos Eisley and all the droids that are moving around Mos Eisley. Uh, kind of orchestrate what was happening so that you didn't want to draw attention. There was one shot that ballooned up, but that was not my fault, which is that rearing up shot, which is a whole nother discussion. But most of the time, you don't want to draw attention. You just want to populate and make it look like a natural function in livable alien planet town. You know. Do do most people at CU at conventions know you more as Boba Fett or as a guy who was involved with all that just work Boba you Fett. discussed? Just Boba okay. Fett. Okay. I have on my desk a little plaque which has pictures of all shots I've designed. From different movies, you know, all different movies, and um, some people peruse that, um, but they uh, they don't know. <laughs> if they follow me, then they do. There's some people that are a lot more. Like, it's a lot more common. I meet someone that actually knows about everything, you know, and knows uh, my little show and tells I do. Or, <laughs> uh, say, you know, when I give specifics about 
this moment I, I worked on, you know, this section. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Brent or Brent or Doc, we're we're getting we're at the hour and a half point, so we're getting close to tying things <laughs> up and everything. So any any other questions that you guys have for Mark while we've got him here? There's just one like a one that I wanted to bring up uh, quickly, I guess that you were talking about earlier. You worked on the movie Dinosaur. Did you feel like that was like groundbreaking as far as CG goes? Because like I've recently rewatched that with my son. And it's like I watched that, and I'm just like I that I was nine years old when that movie came out. I was blown away by it when I saw it in theaters. Like I still think that the CG in that movie holds up to almost today's standards pretty much. Like for for the technology leap that we've had. I mean, did you guys know that you were like freaking like changing the game when you were doing that? Technically, like yeah, because because we had no blueprint or model to follow you know we had to and there's a lot i mean a lot of pre-production like a lot of meetings about pipeline how we're going to set it up how we departmentalize it what someone hands off to the next person everything even the the, the workflow we had countless hours discussing you know and i was there as with janet healy to kind of be the voice of what we had at ILM. So how how it worked at ILM, how, what worked at ILM, what didn't work at ILM for their workflow. Um, but then the traditional Disney side were like, well, you make this 2D movies this way, it should follow the same pattern. Uh, so a lot of teething issues. Um, <laughs> as well as, uh, you know, in Dinosaur, all the body animation was done in Softimage. Then you exported the animation into Maya where a head gets, a face gets put onto just the head and you had to do the facial in that program and then send that animation out to be rendered where they put the skin on. Oh. And hope you're not animating it where you're stretching the skin too far and, you know, or in, or your know, legs interpenetrate, the skin of the legs interpenetrate the tail or, you know, lots of, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. It was three and a half years though. Wow. It's the longest I've ever worked on a movie. They worked on a version of the movie that we just finished just to keep everyone up to speed while they rewrote the movie. So we finished movie one, that everyone got to see movie two. Okay. But they, I was like, no, the crew needs a break. We've been working on this for years. <laughs> we just want to. We want to go to Cabo San Lucas, you know, just book a villa, go there, and just relax, you know, for the first time in years. That's crazy. And they were like, no, we we got to finish this movie. So we're going to dailies, getting critiques, changes to shots that we were just going to throw at the point we finished them. So. It, it scares me that D-Doc was nine when that movie came out. Brent, how about you? Any any kind of final questions or anything for Mark before we tie things up? No, I just want to thank you for my education in uh, movie making and animation. Uh, I, feel, I feel like there's a lot of uh, anyone that stuck around and listened to you talk about uh, three-dimensional modeling and setting up the shot and actually getting into the details of of that uh, of the three-dimensional computer animation and looking at it um and rendering uh what previs in such a way that um yeah no i mean all of that stuff is 
how the movies are made and that none of us pay any attention to. Um, hell, I'm sure Cocaine Bear had some of <laughs> some animation on it, right? Like it went through somebody to look at it for some sort of animation or cleanup effect. Um, yeah, yeah so. sure. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> Cocaine Bear. Gosh, that was a wild ride. Um, first, before I do jump in with a few last things for Mark. One, if you're watching us live or if you watch this on YouTube, my new shirt, which I'm really proud of, is from the company called Steel City. As everyone knows, I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. They have a shop in Pittsburgh called Steel City. Yes, it sells things related to Steelers, but it sells really cool black and yellow and gray things. And they made this cool stormtrooper, which is just like a skeleton face on a stormtrooper, but yeah, it's all black, white, and yellow. And it's pretty cool. So if you want to check out Steel City, you can do that. Just throwing that out there. Really proud of my shirt that my daughter got me. So, um, Mark, I will say this. Um, half the time we were talking tonight, I was looking at my phone, looking up words that you were mentioning because I'm <laughs> just not caught up enough to where. Oh, sorry. No, no. I was just like, what was that we were discussing right there? Um, it was like a foreign language, but it's great because like Brent said, it was complete education. And I like that. I'm sure most people have you on and say, what was it like standing in the suit? And what was it like talking to this? And while that's great, and we could do that. And I'm sure sometime, maybe when Book of Boba Fett season two comes out, if it happens, or the next Mandalorian season, we can do that. But Oh, see, I need a picture of that, by the way. That's gorgeous. Um, but I wanted to let I wanted us to have open conversations about just things related to you. And I think your work history and these things are very important and people need to know that. And I think as people follow you on Twitter, check out your website, um, see you at conventions, they need to know that a very big part is you being one of the select few men in the history of the world that have played the role of Boba Fett. I think that's one of the most awesome things in the world. But you, again, you astound so many of us with the artwork, the behind-the-scenes stuff, the just things you bring up from past jobs, the show things you've worked on. I, that blows me away every time I get on Twitter, and I really appreciate you doing that. Um, before we say thanks and goodnight and everything, where I know you do Cameo, I know you got a website, I know you've got Twitter. Where can people follow you, buy things from you, reach out to you, all that kind of stuff? Uh, I mean, they follow me uh, at Boba Fett dot, uh, or at Boba Fett I do have special edition uh, most of the time. Uh, I, I haven't really got a, a store yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I haven't got any, a merch store. I take my merch to a convention, but I haven't got a merch store. Um, yeah, I just you can find me. Online, there's only a few Mark Anthony Austin's that uh, with a Boba Fett search. And I, well, I, I so my son does cameo, okay. And I know you've been you've been doing some cameo as well, right? Where yeah, people can, yeah, yeah. you've done almost 700 cameos in two oh, years. Wow. Damn, that's yeah. a lot of cameos. I would, I would suggest, yeah, I mean, if someone's a big Boba Fett fan, a big fan of, of art, uh, of cinema. Reach out to Mark on, on Cameo because that's a great way for, for individuals to have some fun, entertain people, and make a few bucks. So I, I, I definitely will check it out because I, for my one of my birthdays, somebody did a Cameo for me with Billy D. Williams to oh, celebrate nice. my birthday. And I sat there in front of the TV screen just 
losing my mind. So I'm sure getting something from Boba Fett would be awesome for somebody. So um, thank you again for being a part of our show. Thank you for coming and sharing time with us. I mean, uh, I wish Alfie was here. He's a little under the weather, but I think him talking to somebody who's played Boba Fett would blow him away. Um, but, but thanks again. We really appreciate it. We will make sure we keep in touch. And, and the next thing where you feel like we all need to get and talk about something Star Wars related, we'll do that. So I really okay. appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. So for, for our, uh, our followers, our listeners, everybody who pays attention to what we've been doing at Rule of the Galaxy, thanks so much for, for listening to us for this hour and a half. I hope you learned something because we're not doing the regular show. This was a fun show talking about different topics we don't usually talk about. And you know what? We'll get back to talking some more Star Wars soon. And if you want, uh, yesterday I did a nice show with Mr. Mark Newbold. We kind of recapped Indiana Jones a little bit, and I might be doing that again with Steve, with Steve Scott Rifen because it's just fun talking a little Indiana Jones stuff. So, um, hey. You just and- started a war. I know. <laughs> don't. Don't start it. Um, so oh, you and- did. I know. Don't keep talking about it um <laughs> with uh steve uh scott uh <laughs> scott steve steve scott There's until until next week and keeping me out of trouble may the force be with you